Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Phil. Praise team. Good to be with you today. My name is Steve Thomas. And I get to serve as the lead pastor here. It's an amazing honor to get to do that. Next Sunday, as Phil mentioned, is Father's Day. Now, I want to make a promise to you. If you're a dad, we will encourage you next week. Sometimes in churches, it comes to when Mother's Day, we talk about the greatness of mothers. And then on Father's Day, we beat those guys up to death. You ought to be getting up. You ought to be doing this. This is what you ought to be. If you're a real man, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to encourage you. To be what God made you to be as a man of God. So don't miss next Sunday. Bring your dad, bring your grandpa, uh, bring your boyfriend who you think might be your, well, it doesn't matter who he is. Just bring somebody, bring a, bring a man. It'd be great to have you next Sunday. So excited about what God is doing in our ministry right now. And just, you need to know that, I might just wonder, well, you know, we have a kid's ministry. We have a youth ministry. How many of those, how many is there? Well, just know this, that we're running about 20 to 30 in our children, in our youth ministry right now in our student ministry on, on our events, and also in our kids' ministry, we're running about 25 as well. So about 50 more people, and it's amazing what God is doing in our church right now, and it's exciting to see him raising up young people. Every age group is important, right? But if we don't have children and students, our future looks very dim. Very excited about what God is doing. I think many of you are serving in that ministry, and I uh, want to encourage you to get involved in those ministries because it's, it's huge for our future. And thank you to Jimmy and Aaron for their leadership there. Well, today we're continue our series in Acts called Engage Your World. And today the title of the message is Primary Identity. Primary Identity. We raised our children. We love those child raising those years and we raised them up that 20 plus years probably still going on, I don't know, maybe 30 years, but really the, the 20 or so years when our kids were in our home, they're special times. In those days, we got to determine what our family did, what our family was like. We got to decide when we went to bed, when they got up. We got to decide who did what chore, when, who filled the dishwasher, who emptied the dishwasher. We got to decide what our traditions would be, how we would celebrate different holidays, how we would go on vacation. We got to do all those things, kind of set the rhythms of our house and kind of determine what it meant to be a Thomas kid. That's what we did. We, we enjoyed that. We got to determine where we lived, what city we lived in, and we moved four times during those years. So the kids knew what it meant when we said, hey, kids, we got to gather up because we need to talk to you. They knew that they needed to pack up because it was time to move. But that's, that whole time was about providing protection for them, a good environment for them to grow up in. It was, it was about allowing them to be raised in a safe environment. When they, when they got a little older, we taught them how to drive. We didn't just throw them the keys, right? We did the scariest thing a parent ever does, which is get in the car next to your child who's driving who has no business being able to drive, Nathan, who has no business being able to drive. They shouldn't be driving. They're 16 or 17 years old. I'm like, I'm trusting my life to this child, not to mention the lives of everybody on the sidewalks. 
But that was part of being raised in our home. And when they got old enough to date, we made a lot of rules about that as well. Not to harm them, not to prevent them from having fun, but to give them an environment where they could grow and develop with a character, with an identity. See, those identities in the home are designed to help them, to protect them, but also to prepare them to launch. We wanted them one day to go have their own homes and develop their own families and their own rhythms. We didn't want them to live in our home forever, amen? Mostly. Now, we may have done too good of a job of it because now they each live over a thousand miles away. Not sure what that says about our parenting style, but they enjoy coming home and we're very close. Identity in the home should ultimately lead to them to being able to develop their own godly identity outside the home. We don't want them just constantly being a part of us in the sense that they're under our control and under our rules. We want them to develop their own lives. And we look forward to that, and we're so glad we get to enjoy that today. But in that transition, they have to wrestle with how much of us are they going to be and how much of their spouse are they going to be? What does God calling them to do? Where is God calling them to live? How much of my dad's voice am I still going to hear about what things? It's absolutely critical that they understand that. Otherwise, they will be crippled and they'll never be able to be all that God wants them to be. And that's what's happening in Acts chapter 11. There is a wrestling going on with the Jewish believers who have now received this incredible news of salvation about Jesus Christ. And and the Holy Spirit has fallen on them and they're, they're ambassadors for Jesus all over the known world. And it's incredible. But how much of our Jewishness do we hang on to? Because aren't we God's special people? And that's what's happening in chapter 11. Peter is has gone, and he's, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, Peter has gone to Cornelius's house, this Gentile, and he has preached, and the Holy Spirit has fallen. And Peter has spent a couple days with them. And so we pick the story up in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, a lot going on here. We need to kind of set the tone. Peter has gone and done this. He's, he's, he's preached and the Spirit has fallen. He stayed with them, and it's become known around the region. News didn't travel quite as fast as it does today, but it did travel. And so people have heard, this is Peter remember, is the leader, really the primary leader of the early church, the disciple of Jesus. And he is the one who had traveled to Samaria, and the Holy Spirit fell on the Samaritans. And now the same thing, actually in a bigger way, has happened to the Gentiles up in Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean. And so people are getting concerned, what does this mean? What does this mean that the Holy Spirit has fallen? What does this mean? And Peter, what are you doing? And they become critical of Peter. Because he ate with Gentiles. Now, the people are asking this. They're called the circumcision party in this passage. And really, it's probably just a group of Jewish believers who are wanting to hold on to the vestiges of being a Jew, 
of the special people of God that God set up in Genesis chapter 12 and that we talked about the whole history of the Jewish people. We're still Jews, right? Now later there would be a circumcision party that would be an, a kind of an official opponent of the church in a lot of ways because they would say that you need to maintain all of your Jewishness circumcision, dietary laws, all these things, and they would oppose really the, the gospel of grace. But this is probably earlier than that because these people respond well to Peter's explanation, but they're concerned. They're critical of Peter, not because he delivered the Holy Spirit or God used him to deliver the Holy Spirit, but because he ate with them. Now that sounds kind of whacked, doesn't it? Eat with someone, what's the big deal? Well, the table for, for Jews at the time especially was very sacred. And to eat with someone was really to embrace them, accept them, and to just eat with them, stay with them, meant that you were probably also eating things that were not approved, that were not clean, um, that were common. And so this is a big problem. And so what it is doing is Peter is stepping away from his Jewishness. And as the leader, he's kind of making it so everyone is sort of the same. And that felt wrong to them, right? Because they were raised, they had a heritage that said, we are special. And, you know, we ought to thank God for our heritage, but we should never make our heritage our God, right? Whatever your heritage is. I'm grateful for my heritage. I'm so grateful, but I don't make it my God. I'm grateful we were able to give our kids a heritage, but we didn't want it to make them to make it their God. We worship what mom and dad say. No, I don't want that. I worship what Jesus says. And then I want them to come spend every holiday with me. But let's another story. Um, There's a real concern. It's valid. And they want an explanation from Peter. Have you ever been called on the carpet like this? You need to explain yourself, Michael. You need to explain yourself, Jim. You need to explain yourself. Have you ever had that happen? You need to tell your story and you're kind of like, Hey, you're kind of disrespecting me by asking. It's not a disrespectful question, though. It's a fundamental question. And as believers, especially as believers, as followers of Jesus, we need to have a good explanation. And by the way, sidebar, please don't just say, God told me, and move on. You ever do that? Well, why in the world did you do that? Well, just God told me. This is kind of a cop-out. You know, yes, I believe that, you know, you just say, well, you know, it says in the Word of God that I'm not to do these things. Okay, great. Or I have lived my life in a certain way, so I'm not going to go to certain places, do certain things. Have more of an explanation than just playing the God card. God told me. Because it kind of sets you up as you're like an apostle or something. One of the disciples. There's good explanations for everything that we do in Scripture. It's fair to have a good explanation. So Peter says, well, look, Guys, let me just tell you. And he recounts what we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. He says, you know, hey, I was in Joppa. there on the Mediterranean Sea. Interestingly enough, still a beautiful place to visit. Um, and I'm, I'm staying with Simon the Tanner. And I have this dream. And this dream, this sheet comes out of heaven. And it's filled with all kinds of stuff we're not supposed to eat. It's filled with bacon and ham and lobster and shrimp and... Stuff they weren't allowed to eat. Man, it had to be a tough time, you know? Um, but he sees all these creepy, crawly things, and he sees all these things they're not supposed to eat. He sees reptiles, he sees hogs, he sees, and 
the voice from heaven says, take, kill, and eat. Peter says, there's no way, I'm not doing that. I don't do that. All my whole life, my heritage is you only eat clean things. See, there was clean and unclean, or there was clean and common. Common meant everyone did it. Clean meant it was reserved only the Jewish people lived in a certain way. Peter said, I'm like you. He's talking to these people who are criticized. I'm like you. I've never done this before. I've lived the same way. I've, I've never eaten something I wasn't supposed to eat. And it happened, but the voice from God said, don't ever say something is common that I say is clean. Don't ever say something is unclean when I have made it clean. And Peter's blown away. Happens three times, which in scripture and in life in general, that means you better pay attention, right? Better pay attention. God's speaking. And right about that time, as the vision ends, here comes Cornelius' men. These are Gentile men representing a Gentile master saying that God has spoken through an angel to the Gentile Cornelius to come get you, Peter, so you can talk to us. Normally, going to a Gentile's home was not cool. But because of what God had said, because of what God had done, Peter goes. We pick up the story in verse 15 of Acts 11. The Bible says this, it says, Peter's speaking, he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. Let me pause there. Imagine. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell. Peter's not taking credit. He's not saying, hey, I preached down the Holy Spirit on them. My voice, I'm so good at it. I'm so awesome. I've been working out this whole plan, and I had it all figured out. And because I preached, the Holy Spirit fell on you. Listen, I was just faithful to go. And God poured out his Spirit. God did something I could never do. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on us just as it did at the beginning. And the beginning was Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit falls on the Jews in, at Pentecost in Jerusalem. Remember, there was this incredible rushing wind. There were these flames of fire. All the disciples were able to speak in tongues they didn't even understand, different languages, and people could understand in their own language. And here's what Peter is saying. The same thing happened to the Gentiles. I mean, it's mind-blowing. It happened again. It happened to them. God delivers the Spirit to the Gentiles. Oh, and oh, by the way, I just had a vision that told me the Gentiles were clean as well, and I could eat wherever I wanted. So what's happening is God is removing the distinction between us and them. Yes, we're God's people that we need to deliver God's Word, but God has delivered His Word and His Spirit to the Gentiles. And so there's no difference between us, really. Paul would later say there's neither Greek nor Jew, right? Um, Peter continues. He says, And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're being, this Holy Spirit is being poured down on us. Verse 17, And if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I could stand in God's way. I love that. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? And what he means is, if I didn't receive their invitation to eat with them, even to stay with them, I would be standing in God's way. 
Sounds like a small thing to us, but it is an embrace of them. As Gentiles said, hey, we're all the same. We're all in the same family. I want to know you. I want to share food with you. I want to eat with you. But if Peter had said, oh no, we're special. We're different than you. Even though you've received the gift of salvation, even though you've received the Holy Spirit, you know, I just, I can't really, I can't share your table with you. That would have stood in God's way. See, what you do, what we do as followers of Jesus can be barriers for others who want to follow Jesus. Like, wait, what's wrong with me? You're better than me? We said last week, there are no, there are no special Christians. There are no super Christians. We're all of the same family. Peter was saying something very powerful. He was saying, God has changed your identity. You still have that heritage, just like our, our kids are still connected to us, but they have their own identity as their own household. He's saying to the Jews, you still have that, but you are now connected to people in a whole different way. He's saying identity is now based on what God has done rather than what you have done. Your identity is based on what God has done. He's given you salvation and Holy Spirit rather than on what you have done and you've kept these dietary rules. It's a powerful, powerful statement. Let me ask you, is your identity based on what God has done or what you have done? Is it based on what God has given you or on your heritage? It's a fundamental question and we can easily wander into this. And go, well, no, I'm, uh, I'm an American. I'm a Floridian. Uh, I'm a Haitian. Uh, I'm a Hispanic. I'm a Jamaican. Um, I'm a goofy guy from Missouri. You know, we all have these identities. I'm from this family. I have this occupation. I have this education. I have this role. That's who I am. Is it? Is that your fundamental identity? See, I believe this passage is saying to us that Jesus is to be our primary identity. See, when he becomes our primary identity, it changes the way we see others, the way we see ourselves, and the way we see Jesus. It changes the way we see others, the way we see ourselves, and the way we see Jesus. See, if he's your primary, if Jesus is your primary identity, you see other followers of Jesus as friends rather than foreigners. You may, you may meet someone who's a follower of Jesus and they're from a totally different continent, but you know what? They are to be a friend, actually even a sibling, a brother or sister. They're no longer foreigners. They should be a part, considered to be a part of our family. Many of you know what it's like to be the only believer in your family, your earthly family, your family of origin. And that's why when you're in the church, you start to build relationships and you realize these people who you're not related to by blood, you're related to by the blood of Jesus. They're actually closer to you because they follow the same Jesus. You start to see people as friends, not foreigners. I've appreciated the evangelism methods that have been in the church for a long time. And there's a lot of them. Many of you probably learned them. 
It's great to know how to share your faith in a, in a specific way, in an organized way. But sometimes in the past, we have kind of said, okay, let me share this with you. And it's like you're sharing a pitch to sell someone a new vacuum cleaner. All we really want to do is make a sale. You see, when we help someone know Jesus, it's not a transaction. It's the beginning of a relationship, right? It doesn't matter if you feel like, I may never see this person again. You might never. But you're linked forever because now you're going to the same home in heaven. It's not about just getting a check in the box or being able to tell someone you did. It's about saying, I want to build a relationship. Don't know how close it'll be, but we're now brothers or sisters. We follow Jesus. We're building relationships. We're not just checking boxes. We're not selling product. We're wanting people to know him. And we are wanting to know them as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why this church is built on relationships. If you're new to us, we really want to know you. Now, if you don't want to know us, we're not going to be offended. We're not going to be too annoying, but we're going to want to know you. We want you to have people to walk through life with you to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So first, if Jesus is your primary identity, other followers are friends rather than foreigners. And second, how do we see ourselves? If Jesus is my primary identity, here's what, happens, here's what will happen to you. Your sense of well-being and self-esteem is now based on Jesus and what he has done and doing rather than on your heritage or the results that you're achieving. Let me tell you what I mean. Often, how we feel about ourselves, what we think of ourselves, has to do with how well we're living as the identity that we've chosen. So if you come from a certain family, I want to make sure I'm holding up the family name. That's what I'm all about, right? If you come from a certain nation, you want to represent that well. I want to be a good American. I want to be a good Canadian. I want to, I want to uphold that. And that's how I kind of, if I don't do that, I kind of feel bad about myself. And you can kind of tell what your primary identity is by what set of rules you're trying to keep. And if you are in business, you tend to say, I am defined by how well or how much, how much I achieve, how good the results are in my business. And we feel good about it when we do well, especially men. We get into this a lot, women too, to some degree, but we're like, I got to go out and conquer. I got to go drag it in. And how well I am doing as a hunter-gatherer, it really tells everything about my self-esteem. And if I'm having a good year, I feel good about myself. If my business is bad this year, I feel bad about myself. There's all kinds of problems with that though, isn't there? I was in sales for 14 years, and there were years that people in our organization the lead guy, the guy that had the best year of all, he just happened to have a large account fall in his lap. And so about halfway through the year, he quit working. He quit being faithful. Why? Because he had already achieved his goal and beyond, and he won a lot of awards, made a lot of money, and was really successful. But you know what happened the next year? That account didn't fall in his lap. And that guy didn't do well. See, results are not always a great indication of how faithful you have been. It's true for parents. So many times as parents, I know so many parents who are weeping for their kids. They're grown children who are far from God. And sometimes as parents, you're like, man, I, I must not have done a good job. 
The only question you really have is, have I been faithful? Have I done what God has called me to do? I wasn't perfect, but as parents, we shouldn't claim the victories of our children as ours. They belong to God, don't they? Our job is to be faithful, not to worship the results that really have a lot of other things involved than just us. Am I faithful? Am I dependent on what God has done? Not what I have done. I, I learned this a lot when I was in sales. It was like, you know, I would get business I never had any business getting, and the business I really tried to get I couldn't get. See, Paul said, I plant, Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. Our job is faithfulness. His job is results. Generally, if we are faithful, the results are good, but not always. God often gives more than we deserve, but sometimes things happen that cause us to not achieve the results that we wanted. The question is, am I faithful? My identity should not be in my results. My identity should be in my faithfulness. Jesus, you have given me a life. As we talked about last week, you've you've given me the Holy Spirit. The question of my success is, am I walking with the Holy Spirit in everything that I'm doing? Am I walking the way he wants me to walk? Am I walking to bring him glory? Or am I just sitting here worried? And this is a problem that I've had a lot of my life. We're just worried about the results. And then when the results come, we're like, oh, that was great. They were good. And then they're gone just like that, right? Because there's a whole other day tomorrow. Identity should be in Jesus. And then my self-esteem will be in him, not in my own work. If Jesus is our primary identity, that identity supersedes every other identity. See, it changes the way I look at others, changes the way I look at myself, it changes the way I see Jesus. See, he is no longer just a part of my life. He is my life. Do you do that? Do you compartmentalize? I got my... I got my parenting job over here, and I got my, my career over here, and I got my, my taking care of myself, my workout and all that over here, and, and I got my other extended family. And then over here, I got Jesus. He's a part. He's one of the top 10, maybe the top five even, but he's not all of my life. He's not my entire life. He's not how I base how I feel about myself. He's not where I get my self-esteem. He's just a part And we limit what he can do. You see, if Jesus is my primary identity, he's not someone I'm trying to negotiate with. He's someone that I love above above all others. You ever negotiate with God? You know, God, if you give me a parking place, I promise to give money at the church on Sunday. This busy restaurant on Atlantic Avenue or something. God, if if you'll just provide this, this result, this job I want to get, this, uh, this account I want to close, this success I want to get, then I will, man, I'll even work in children's ministry. Do you ever negotiate with God like that? I wonder, I think we do it a lot. I can just see Jesus going, I don't get it. I gave everything for you. I laid aside my place in heaven for you. 
I hung naked on a cross for you. And you're negotiating with me? What are we doing here? I don't think you get it. I need to be your primary identity. You're a follower of mine. If Jesus is my primary identity, he's not my fallback. He's my first and only option. Did you ever do this? Hey, everything's going to be good, but if things don't work out, I got Jesus in, the, in my back pocket. You know, it's kind of like every drama on TV that, you know, at least is what they used to do, that, well, everything's hopeless. I guess all we can do now is pray. We didn't pray before, but since we got nothing left, let's pray. There's no hope. Now let's pray. No, he's going to be our first option. God, I want to bring to you every issue that I have, every challenge that I have, because I, I want your spirit to be involved in every decision, every conversation, every deal, every work, everything that I, every opportunity. God, I want you to be in the middle of that. I don't want you to be my fallback that, well, it's come to this. I guess I should pray. And don't get me wrong, you should pray in the bad times and the good times, but don't, make, don't wait till it gets really bad to pray. If he's your identity, that's your first option. And he's not one, and hear me, he's not one that I demand results from. He's the one that I ask to help me be faithful. Now, it's not wrong to say, God, I, I pray for this. I want this to happen. I, I want my kids to, be, to grow up to follow you. I, 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 want, I do want to be successful. I want to be able to provide for my family. I want to be able to, be, to give to my church, and I want to see your kingdom grow. That's awesome, right? But sometimes we just demand stuff from God, and when we come to him, all we have is a laundry list of demands. God, I want this, this, and this, and this. If you're God, you will do this. You sound like the thief on the cross who didn't go to paradise. If you were God, you would come down and save us all. Your prayer life should be, God, would you give me what I need? Forgive me of my sin. Keep me from going down those paths to more sin. That's what it should be, God. I want you to get glory. I want things to be on earth the way you want them to be. Not, God, in order for me to be happy, you're going to have to provide this. Is Jesus your primary identity? Or is he just an identity? What would it take to trade those other identities for Jesus? What would it take in your life to say, Jesus, I want you to be my primary identity. That's, you're the one I want to please. You're the standard I'm trying to achieve. You're the way I want to live. What would it take? Some of you are doing some addition right now in your mind. You're thinking, well, it would cost me this. I would lose influence. I might lose influence. People may say, you're a goofball. Why are you saying this? Why are you doing this? I lose friends. I may lose a job. I may lose financially. Or maybe the biggest concern is I might lose control. Let me just let you know something. You're not in control now. Can we agree on that? You're not in control now. When I make Jesus my identity, I'm saying, Jesus, I submit to your control. And I want you, I want to live the way you want me to live because you're the one that's really in charge. I'm not really in control. 
And yes, you might lose some results, but just know this. You don't own the results now. Whatever good things in your life are because of what God has chosen to bless you with, you don't own them now. I want to urge you. Make Jesus your primary identity. What would that be like? What would that be like? It would change your whole perspective. You would start to see things through the lens of Jesus, not through the lens of how many friends does that give me, how many likes does that give me, how much money do I make, how, sooner, how much sooner can I retire. You'd rather you'd see, I can be used by Jesus in this way. I can be used for something eternal. I can build friends that will be with me forever in heaven. That's what changes in your life. And your sense of well-being is going to be based on something incredibly faithful, and that's the love of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that feel wonderful to know that he loves you, he approves of you, he's pleased with you, not that you're perfect, because you won't be, but that he loved you in spite of that, and that his love is absolutely reliable. Some of you may not have ever chosen Jesus. You, you You never said yes to him. I want to urge you today. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my identity. I want you to save me. I've I've repented my sins. I admit I'm a sinner. I want your blood to cover me, and I want your spirit to live inside of me. I want to be baptized. I want to make this my identity. I urge you, don't wait. Following the service, I'll be in the white tent. I'd love to chat with you. Again, we want to have a relationship, not just make a transaction. We want you to know what it means for Jesus to be your identity. We want to walk with you through that journey. Some of you may say, well, you know, at one time he was my identity, but he's really not right now. He hasn't been. It's been a difficult three years. He can always come back. He still loves you. He longs to live through you. He longs for you to experience him every day and for him to know and for you to know his joy in your life. Make Jesus your primary identity. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.